going to look at a couple of readings this morning. If you've got your Bible, uh, you might want to get it in front of you. Um, Funny, actually, uh, during Christmas, actually, I circled back a bit, and then John, separately, without me knowing, circled back to Moses, and obviously went through Exodus a number of years ago, and there's still lots in the life of Moses that we keep coming back to, but I'm coming back to a really well-known passage this morning, and then we're going to finish in the passage that was set for today, which is around Isaiah 43. But we're going to read, uh, I'm going to read Numbers 13, which is on page 149 of your Green Bible. It's in the behind, behind you, it's, so to speak. It is panto season, it is behind you, uh, your Bible in your pew, uh, in your seat. So Numbers uh, 13, I'm going to read the first three verses, then 26 to the end. I'm not going to do lots of context, but we'll have a look at it. So Numbers 13, 1 to 3, and then 26 to the end. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, for which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Then verse 26. The kind of, um, they came back and they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Gadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So let me just pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us today. Thank you for this opportunity that is the only opportunity today to gather in this way and that you long to meet us, minister to us, speak to us. Father, thank you for the seed of faith that is planted in our lives. Would you water it, nurture it, grow it in us today? And would you help us bring the very real fears that we all experience freshly to the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to just take a a bit of time to think about faith and fear this morning. And I recently read an article in the last kind of couple of months, as I was kind of reading around this, that said Britons are less happy with our lives than we've been at any point in the last 50 years or so since in the metrics that they use to measure that. Uh, 
Britons, you know, post-COVID-19, with all the health issues that that brings, with all the political turmoil that we're going through with Brexit and changing in leaders all the time, the financial climate that doesn't look to be getting better anytime soon, have created an incredible level of unhappiness and anxiety. Almost thick with anxiety our culture is. According to some of the surveys, our anxiety is also enhanced by the fact that we feel we're on our own. We don't really trust leaders to help us. And so what we're left with is that we just feel like actually there is this kind of big world. It's beautiful, but it's fallen. And somehow we've got to navigate it on our own. And that leaves us with incredible levels of anxiety. Because we know that actually there are aspects of our world that are dangerous. We can get bitten. Things do go wrong. And so actually our lives get consumed by fear. I wonder whether you, you recognize that in your own life and in those you live, work with, how destructive fear is and anxiety in your day-to-day life and in your choices, how it affects your choices. Are you aware in your own life how fear affects your day-to-day choices or are you not very aware? Do you know, and actually our attitude to that is um, worsened in some way by what we spend our lives doing during the week, what we consume in the stories that we read, maybe the media we read, actually does have, make a difference to what we think on, what we meditate on, what we think about. Yeah, there is a kind of great saying that, that in um, marketing is that sex sells, but also fear sells. Marketers know that fear and anxiety sell. And actually, so we feast on that. We feast on the things that actually are the things that are at times real issues, but also cause us lots of anxiety. So my challenge before we get into 2024, which is next week, just to take a moment, just to reflect a moment. I said, how do I grow in faith from where I am today? and not be consumed by fear in 2024? What will help me grow in faith in 2024? So the question as well then is this, is how should we look at our future as a church or as individuals in your families, your work, whatever it is? In this famous account that we've just read briefly that's really well known in Numbers 13, the people of Israel... Have find themselves standing on the edge of the promised land. They've been wandering through the wilderness for actually over a year at this point. And there's lots of complaining, there's lots of groaning, lots of mumbling, people are unhappy. But they're on the very edge of their destination, their goal of getting to where God promised them. In verses 1 or 2 of the reading you've got in front of you, the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So Moses sends out these 12 spies to explore the land, to see the land that God has promised. And they came back, as you'll recognize, with reports of a land full of land of milk and honey. But... The people there are powerful and large, and the spies are filled with fear, apart from 
Caleb, and we assume Joshua too. So in verse 30, if you've got it in front of you, then Caleb said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. And in verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. So what you find in this account is two very different perspectives of Caleb and of the other spies. Now, they all experienced the same thing. They all went into the promised land. They all saw kind of the milk and honey, but they saw the same people, the same cities, the same enemies. They had the same experiences. But how they responded to those experiences was massively affected by the inclination of their own hearts. And every day, each one of us face crossroads where we face simple choices. Will I retreat back in fear or move forward in faith? I face those challenges. You face those challenges. So what are the signs, firstly, of that we're moving back in fear? That we're motivated by fear, we're living by fear. Firstly, we compromise our calling. God's, God's word tells us that we can live an abundant life in and through Christ. He said, Jesus said, that I came that you may have life and have it to the full. And the New Testament is full of those promises of what it means to be full of the life of God in this world. And to do that, to be in that place, we need to trust Jesus. But obviously the temptation is this, and we face this temptation regularly, is we're tempted by this simple fear. Can I trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about? You know, when it comes to it. Can I really trust that he will be firm to his word? And so what we're tempted to do, and then what we often end up leading to, is we make compromises. So whether it's in the issue of our finances, our relationships, our, our work and to do with sex, our jobs, our family, our money, our gifts, our time. We compromise God's calling, God's standards, because ultimately we're not sure we can trust God's word. We don't believe that being obedient to Jesus, obedient to his calling, obedient to his, his hand on life, will lead us to live that flourishing life that good life, that abundant life that we think we're called to. So, for example, to take a really simple example is this, is that often we can be afraid to tell the truth to people because they think it'll embarrass us or embarrass them. And we'll end up being reduced in some way in, those, in their eyes because we want their respect. We want to be loved by people. So we don't tell the truth. We circle around it. So we lie to get ourselves out of a difficult situation. We cut corners. And lying, if you read in the writing, is always an act of fear. You don't lie in faith. You lie out of fear. How many people also come up to the edge of giving their life to Christ? To the border of the promised land, so to speak then shrink back in fear when they look and take a look and think, do you know, the implications of my life may be too big. What, you know, I'm afraid of what it might mean. We begin to count the cost of what it might mean to follow Jesus. 
or what it might mean for our career or what my friends might think of me or, you know, what it might all mean for me. So we retreat. We're motivated ultimately by fear and we move back from God's standards. We compromise his calling on our lives. Second thing you'll notice in this passage as well is that if we look at the negative report of the ten spies in verse 31 to verse 33, you'll see how they exaggerate the obstacles. They say not only are these descendants from Anak, and these were a really uh, well-known big group of people, but they came from the Nephilim, who were the ancient people who were said to be giants. So these people are tall and big, that is true. But people who live in fear love to maximize the obstacles we face. Because obstacles are real. But we become obsessed with those obstacles. And we exaggerate the power and influence they might have. Yes, and of course, in, if you ask me at different points, when I've got subject fear, we live at a time in 2024 when people are looking to restrict Christian liberty. There are people who are massively moving forward a secular agenda in our sand, in our land. But does that mean that as Christians we retreat in fear? That actually we face our future trying to hide away because actually things are tough? There have been so many times in the past, in both in our country but also across the world, where the gospel ultimately has triumphed as people have moved forward in faith, not retreated in fear. I think I might have uh, quoted before from a book that was written about the Great Awakening by Arnold Dalymore in the 1700s. And he wrote this. This is from the 1700s. In 1660, in the violent rejection of the Puritans, much of the nation threw off restraints and plunged into godlessness. This is in the UK. Drunkenness, immorality, and gambling were rife. The gin craze began in 1689. And within a generation, every sixth house in London became a gin shop. There were over 160 crimes in England that had the death penalty. Gin made the people what they were never before, cruel and inhuman. Signs over gin shops read, drunk for one shilling, dead drunk for two shillings, free straw. Women were treated even worse than men. Hundreds of hardened hookers and murderesses were locked in battle over scant and rotten rations with mothers who caught, uh, were with mothers when they were caught, and they were forced to steal to keep their children from starving. Open sewer trenches for toilets ran through the cells. Rats and insects were everywhere. One man apparently even took his dog into prison to protect himself against the rats, and the rats ate the dog. 2024, what happened in the 1700s in a kind of place of darkness across the land, but also a society, God began to get a hold of the church. He began to get a hold of the church again. And then the whole country was transformed. Not just renewal, having a good time, but revival. The church impacted the world around it. This is the kind of 
phases where schools, hospitals, orphanages were created, social reforms took place in prisons, in child labor laws, in housing. The whole country changed through a revived church. And so I don't know how you're feeling about where you are, personally or for us as a church. But as you read scripture, what you realize is no obstacle is too big for God. Never say the forces of opposition that you're facing are too big or too strong. God can and will work through people who want to listen to him, love his kingdom, and want to see change. One of my kind of things as I begin to think about 2024 is the renewed sense to pray for our nation, for revival in our nation, but also for us as a church. Now, friends, as we approach the end of a year and think about a new year, Christians are never defined by the obstacles they face. Never defined by the obstacles we face. It's always the presence of the one who is with us. Defined by the presence of a God who is with us. And of course, St. Swithin's has a great future if the presence of God remains the center of who we are. If Christ is central, the presence of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, then there's no reason for us not to flourish in God's purposes and his plans. We can face the future with faith. Numbers 13, God tells them right at the beginning, if you look at verse 2, in looking at how we face, uh, rather than facing fear, if looking at how we face with faith. In verse 2, God tells them at the beginning that he's already going to give them the land. He's already told them, I am giving you the land. Look in verse 2. Send some people to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. God's saying, you don't need to worry. I've got this. I'm giving you the land. Move into Canaan. Move forward in faith. God spoke, already spoke to his people. The goal now is for you to move into the land of Canaan. It's not just one of several options. And actually one of the ways that we see throughout Scripture, people who move forward in faith have a sense of vision of what they're called to, have heard God's voice and listened to it and prioritize obedience. In his mercy, and in his mercy, God even allows them to check things out before. Notice here this account. He says, go in and see, this is a land I'm going to give to you. But the temptation in life is to get things in the wrong order. That we don't prioritize obedience first, we prioritize how we're going to do it first. We get things absolutely the wrong way around. You need to first decide, am I going to obey what God has called me to? That's number one. Am I going to choose that as number one? And then the second question is, okay, how do I do this? How do I go about it? And of course, most of us are tempted to do it exactly the opposite way around. So whether it's to do with our money or with our relationships or our work, Fear causes us to reverse the order. You know, I've got to work out to figure how I'm going to do this before I choose to obey God. But God calls us to step out in obedience. And as we begin to step out in obedience, God begins to pull up behind us 
the very resources and the things that we need to make it all work. But it requires a step of faith first. So often we try and do it all the other way around, and there's actually no step of obedience towards God. And God may be saying to you at the end of this year, there may be things God has begun to speak to you about or has put on your heart or you think he's saying to you that might be about this church gathering, but it might be nothing to do with that. We have a sense that he's calling you to something, to start a group or to get alongside some people or to give something or to start something. You know, I don't know what that would be. But it first starts with this, is that you've got to choose obedience first. And as you begin to step out, God will come through with the other things too. As, you, as we discern his voice and what he's saying. And so as we, as we kind of face 2024, can I ask you, in a sense, a very personal question. What's God asking of you? What do you think God is asking of you? Is he asking you to take a step? Or are you too busy trying to work all the details out? Are you available to hear what he wants to do with you in 2024? Why not take some time today or over the next week just to ask God, what's on your heart for me this year? Secondly, to move forward in faith means we also emphasize God's current provision in verses 23 to 27, you'll see the report as they come back, carrying the fruit from the valley of Eshkol. The valley of Eshkol is literally a valley that's almost mythical in its fruit-bearing capacity. It's renowned for its provision of incredible abundance. So if you want to have faith, look around you for evidence of God is already at work. Where is God already at work where do you see his provision? Where is God evidence of the Spirit's work in your life or the church's life or those around you? And noticing where God's at work and being aware of God's provision, being aware of the Spirit of work, gives you something to be thankful for. Enables us to see his hand, to see his work, to see his provision. A supportive friend at church. The fact that you have a roof over your head, the fact that you have a family that love you and you love. You know, there are places to start if you're struggling with some of the big stuff, the bigger picture stuff. So here, are you noticing God's provision in your life? As you look over the last year, what has God been doing in your life? Do you see the evidence of his blessing on bits of the church's life? And so as we look to close a year tonight and move into a new year uh, tomorrow and, and over the coming year. The challenge this morning is this. It just takes stock for a moment. Because God's promises are still exist over your life. There may be kind of things we're going to lead you with through a prayer in a minute. Um, recognize where fear is very real for you. But God really longs for you longs to use you as you move forward in faith. But to move forward in faith requires some steps at some point. The temptation, the temptation for me is very real, is that there are so many things that can cause us to shrink back. 
there were challenges as I was preparing this, thinking for me personally and for us as a church. Things you think, oh, those obstacles just are so big and don't seem to shift. God's calling me as much as he's calling you to be honest, to recognize it, but to listen and to commit to move when he calls you to, to step when he says so. Let's pray.